sermon text tonight is Luke 21, verses uh, 29 through 38. After I read this, if you would uh, put a finger in Ephesians 5, Joel will also be referring to that tonight. Luke 21, 29. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, pray with me. Lord, you said the words that you speak to us are spirit and life. And so I pray that we would receive spirit and life in this place. Lord, my words are death. Your words are life. People don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you, Lord. And so I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain. and May they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus will be crucified in two days. Jesus knows this. He's been preparing for this. Everything's going according to plan. We've seen the last few weeks that he is forcing people to make up their mind about him. That people either need to crown him or they need to crucify him, but they are not going to stand on the fence concerning him. And by clearing out the temple courts, by attacking the religious leaders who ran the temple courts, Jesus has assured his death. And now there's only two remaining days, and so Jesus' words have an extra intensity to them. And what we're going to look at tonight is his last words to the crowds at large. After this, he's going to go off, he's going to have his Passover meal, it's just going to be the twelve. This is the last public sermon he preaches. The context of this is earlier, the disciples had commented on the grandeur of the temple. And really, it's hard for us to imagine a site like that. It was it was one of the wonders of the world. It was massive. It was 400 yards by 500 yards of pretty much solid, polished stone. Uh, the historian Josephus, he describes it um, by saying it was hard to look at. It looked like it was, uh, it was on fire because when the sun would hit it, it was so bright as it reflected off all the painted gold, all the jewels and the polished stone, you couldn't really look at it in daylight. And the stones themselves, some of the stones were 70 feet long. They were massive. And these are the stones that the disciples looked at and said, look at the stones. And Jesus says, I tell you, not a stone will be left on the other. It's all coming down. 
And then he says, I tell you what, you want, you want to build your life on something that will remain? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, you can count on that, my words will be here forever. And so this, this passage here is how we can live our life on His words and how we cannot perish. Verse 36 tells us that that's the the focus of this. Look at verse 36. It says, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So the reason for this last sermon is that we all need to strive for the ability to stand someday and not perish someday before the Son of Man. That's the focus, the theme of Jesus' last message here. Let's look at how we do this. We're going to read verse 34 to 36 again. I want this pounded in your heads. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, all of these same themes that we just read are picked up by Paul in Ephesians 5. And I told you to turn your finger there uh, earlier to go ahead and flip over to Ephesians 5. We're going to be going back and forth, back and forth between these two texts. Ephesians 5, verse 14 Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so you have all the same themes here. There's this same sense of urgency. And both Jesus and Paul, they, they first they say we need to be awake. Jesus, verse 36, he says, but stay awake. Paul, in verse 14, he says, awake, O sleeper. Both say that we have to watch ourselves. Jesus, in verse 34, says, but watch yourselves. Paul, in verse 15, says, look carefully then how you walk. Same thing. Watch yourself. And and notice that we're not to look for an outside danger. He says, watch yourself. The the danger is not going to come from from the outside. The danger is going to come from within. You need to be careful how you're walking. Finally, Jesus and Paul, they both mentioned that we are not to be drunk. Jesus in verse 34 says, but watch yourself. Yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Paul in verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine. Um, There there are more similarities in those texts, especially if you broaden it out. But we're going to look at at, at those right there. That's enough to show you that they're, they're talking about the same thing here. Both Jesus and Paul say that we need to be awake. Now, You only have to tell somebody to stay awake if there's a danger of falling asleep. If, if, you know, like right now, wake up, 
wake up. You know, I hate when I'm, I'm preaching and the sunlight's coming down behind me and I see some of y'all getting a little uh, sleepy. I'm not going to allow you to fall asleep. You only have to say stay awake when people are on the verge of falling asleep. A number of things happen when you fall asleep. The, uh, the primary thing that happens is you, you start to dream and you begin to think that your dream world is the real world. Um, for instance, I, I still have dreams about basketball. Um, two sports analogies in a week, or two weeks. Won't ever happen. Uh, I still dream about basketball. As a matter of fact, the, the last dream that I had about basketball wasn't too long ago. And, you know, you could, you're always just incredible. Nobody can stop you. I could jump out of the gym, and it was just one of those amazing dreams. I'm dunking on everybody. And I wake up. Sort of, because I, I need to go to the bathroom. And I don't know if you've ever done this. When you're having a great dream, but you need to go to the bathroom, you're just going to, no, I'm going back to sleep. I'm going back to sleep. Finally, no, I needed to go. And so I got up without opening my eyes. And I'm like, I don't need, I, I need to stay in this dream. I'm not leaving this dream. It's a good dream. And so as softly as I could move, no lights coming on. I didn't want to raise my pulse. I was trying to stay asleep. And I even remember thinking in this weird state, my team needs me to stay asleep. <laughs> they need me. It was, it was a dream world. And most of us, we live life in this kind of quasi-dream state. I mean, for most of us, when we look at reality, it's just not as good as the dream world. And we want to stay in there. Jesus has just been talking about persecution. He says, hey, some, some of your own family is going to betray you. There's going to be wars. There's going to be pestilence. Uh, these beautiful buildings are going to be gone. And you're like, I want to stay in the dream world. I don't want to listen to that. The world I want to I be a part of is where there's beauty. It's where all my friends love me. It's where I can do whatever I want with my life. And you want to drown out the voice of Jesus there. The problem is it's not real. Yet this is where we most live. And so when thoughts come to us, like someday I'm going to die and I'm going to have to give account of my life to the Lord, we're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, stay asleep. I don't want to think about such a sober reality. Jesus and Paul say, wake up. It's not living. That's a, that's a fantasy world you're in. And despite what you think, it's not even a good fantasy world. Because when you meet the living Jesus, the living glorious Jesus, everything else seems to lack substance. As a matter of fact, that's what the, the word glory in Hebrew simply means heavy or solid. And when we say Jesus is glorious, we mean he's real. He's real. Everything else is just kind of transient and fading. But Jesus is glorious. He's heavy. He's real. After we wake up, we're supposed to watch ourselves and we're supposed to not be drunk with wine also. Um, Jesus says that we need to watch ourselves lest we be weighed down by dissipation. Um, dissipation, uh, I've some commentators translate that as the, like the hangover. Um, 
and drunkenness and, and the cares of this life here. Paul says in verse 15, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 16 says that we are to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Some of you might have different translations there. Um, Literally, it's redeem the time. It's buy back the time. Because days are evil. It says if you do not buy back time, you're going to be a fool. You're going to be un- unwise. If you do not buy back the time, then time's just going to pass you by and you're going to kind of go into some, some spiritual wasteland. If you don't buy back the time, you need to realize things naturally degenerate. You're going to waste your time at best. You're going to turn evil at worst. The, the key is you've got to buy back time. Now, I've got three kids. Um, Time is very valuable. Um, I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that I I wish I had more time, that I could use a little more time. Um, Maybe some of you feel like, if I just had 30 more minutes in the day, just 30 more minutes, gosh, and and of course you make the mistake of thinking, I would spend those 30 minutes in Bible study and prayer. You know, then I would really do something meaningful with my life. Just 30 more minutes. I wouldn't, you know, watch more TV or, or, or do the laundry or something. Uh, it would be devoted to spiritual things, but we deceive ourselves when we think the key to our problems is just more time. God created time. He gave you the perfect amount of time. When you look at Jesus, Jesus was never rushed. Jesus was never hurried. Jesus had all the time in the world to build relationships, for prayer, for study. And he did more than you will ever think about or dream about. Uh, Having more time isn't the issue. It's redeeming the time that God's given you. It's buying it back. And and the key to doing this, Paul says, is we're not to be drunk with wine, but we're to be filled with the Spirit. That's how we buy back this time, is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I have heard some horrible sermons on this. I've heard some horrible songs. The college ministry that I was involved with at the University of Georgia sang a song called I'm Thirsty. And uh, the chorus went like this. Fill me up, Lord. I just want to feel it. Make me drunk, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. I'm thirsty, Lord, I'm thirsty. And that chorus went on ad nauseum forever. I mean, just kept going. And you laugh at that, that people used to sing songs like that. I've been to conferences in which people have gotten up and testified that they have gotten DUIs on the way home from church because they have been drunk with the Spirit. And so they're testifying, got a DUI, got pulled over because I was drunk with the Spirit. That is not at all what this is talking about. Paul is pulling these things together to contrast drunkenness. not saying being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk. It's the opposite. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're never more alert. 
You're never more alive. You're never more in self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, not losing it. It's interesting here that Paul does bring in the sin of drunkenness and not others. He doesn't say, do not kill people, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not steal but be filled with the Spirit. He does bring out drunkenness for a certain reason. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And he does this for a few reasons here. We'll we'll look at a couple. One is because I think the reason people go to alcohol at times. Um, A lot of people go to alcohol when the cares of the concerns of this life, which Jesus had just talked about, when those cares and the concerns for this life overwhelm them. You go to drink. You have a horrible day at work. You stop by a bar at home. And the bartender says, have a good day. He said, it was an awful day. Can I have a double? Can I have a double? That's how we cope. That's a a way of, you know, putting yourself back in that dream-like state where you don't have to cope with reality. It's a depressant. It it suppresses your view of reality. Paul says instead of going to that, you should go to Jesus. Now, now for some of us, it's not alcohol. For some of us, you you know, it's a really hard day. You go shopping. You you know, you, you, you go internet shopping or you go to the summit or you have a really bad day, you go to the refrigerator. You know, all of us, we have our little outlet that we go to to escape the cares of this life. Jesus says, go to me. Redeem the time. Both being drunk and being filled with the Spirit have controlling effects. Alcohol weakens your senses, gives you fake courage. Um, Being filled with the Holy Spirit sharpens your senses. It makes you alive, gives you clarity. I'd say it makes you human. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. When the Holy Spirit is, He is in you and He gives you such clarity and singular purpose. That's normal for us. That's what we should be striving for. And Paul says that when we are, that we are to be filled with the Spirit, and, and the word there for filled is, without boring you, it's a present active imperative, which means you don't ever stop being filled. He says, always be filled. Keep being filled. Never stop being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time action. You're like, done. I can rest. Had the chill bumps one time. Check it off. It's, it's, we keep seeking the Spirit. This raises a question. How can we be filled with the Spirit so we can redeem time? So we can make the most of every opportunity, so we can be awake, so we can stand in front of the Son of God and not perish. How can we do this? I'm just going to give you three things. First, and this is pretty simple, you need to be convinced that it's the Lord's will for your life. You need to be convinced it's the Lord's will for your life. That being filled with His Spirit, being filled with His presence, is not an optional add-on. Like if you go to a car dealership and you're like, well, kind of this is what I want, and, but there's some extra perks, some luxury items that you could add. That is not 
what Jesus or Paul is talking about here. This is part of the normal Christian life. This is what he wants for us, is to be continually filled with his presence. Second, fill yourselves with his word. Once again, look at Ephesians 5. I want to read 18 through 20. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always. Now listen to Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Does that sound familiar? They're almost identical passages. Uh, They both say, one says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and you're going to sing songs, spiritual songs, you're going to make melody, and you're going to give thanks. The other says, be filled with the Spirit, and you're going to sing songs and hymns, and you're going to give thanks. For Paul, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, and being filled with the Spirit were synonymous. They're the same thing. Don't, don't think that when you hear Paul say, be filled with the Spirit, that he's saying, be more mystical. You know, go in your room, light incense, you know, sing Jesus, 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 Jesus a thousand times and, and somehow have this religious experience. Don't think that. I know so many Christians who try. This is much more tangible than that. It's filling yourself with his word, taking long drinks of Scripture, Saying, Spirit, breathe that to life in me. Let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. And you see that in the life of Jesus. We've seen it through Luke. Luke chapter 4, when Jesus goes off to the desert to be tempted, it says He was was full of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit led Him out into the desert. And every temptation, Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Jesus is on a cross. You you, you poke Him. He's going to bleed Scripture. So if you want to live a spirit-filled life, you have to immerse yourself in His Word. Do not try to be filled with a power or a force. You're being filled with a person. There's all these different terms for this. You know, we are to uh, keep in step with the Spirit. That's very a relational term. It's like a walking side by side with somebody, keeping in step with the Spirit. If you want to really know someone, you listen to their words. You're not going to be filled with the Spirit by squeezing in a few minutes here, squeezing in a few minutes there of prayerfully reading God's Word. And I know schedules are hard, but you need to try to find, well, not try, you need to redeem the time, and you need to find an opportunity for you to take a long drink. Maybe it's once a week where you can sit and you can just read a long section and drink it in prayerfully and ask God to ignite that in you. I'll be as blunt as possible in this. You cannot be filled with the Spirit. You cannot unless you're filled with His Word. No, no matter 
what worship service you go to, how many chill bumps you get, no matter what you feel, you, you will not be filled with the Spirit apart from His Word. Third way to be filled with the Spirit. Actually, this is going to be a little different than just being filled with the Spirit. This is going to... Uh, their way to be... to experience the Spirit's power in your life. We've been looking at His presence in your life. This is His presence and His power in your life. And to do this, you simply must commit to glorifying Jesus. Commit to glorifying Jesus. And I wish I had time to really unpack this. You see, the Spirit of God, He lives to glorify Jesus. John 16, 14 says, Jesus says this of the Spirit. He says, He will glorify Me, for He takes what is Mine and He declares it to you. That's, that's the Spirit of God's mission, to glorify Jesus. J.I. Packer, he wrote a great book called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. And his main point is this. He says, The essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the Spirit comes to make Jesus real to people. He comes to show Jesus who He is in His glory. That's, that's the Spirit of God's mission. And what this means, and I hope this connects, what this means is that if you seek, if you commit to glorify Jesus in your life, and you, you walk in faith in a situation to give Him glory, the Spirit of God is going to see an opportunity to mediate the presence of God and give Him glory, and He's not going to miss that. He is looking for opportunities to glorify Jesus. And so, when you take this, if you boldly proclaim Jesus and the truth of Jesus in your workplace, the Spirit of God is going to say, that's an opportunity for me to mediate the presence of Jesus. And He will come in power. You don't sit in a room and say, come in power, come in power, come in power. I'm going to wait to feel something, and then I'm going to go share. You go and you commit yourself to the glory of God. And when you step out on faith, you give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to say, I cannot miss out on that. That is the chance to glorify Jesus. That is what I long for us as a church to do. For us to be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that we will take opportunities to glorify Jesus in Woodlawn. And we will take those steps. And as we step in those directions, the Holy Spirit will say, that's an opportunity I cannot miss. I will come and I will mediate the presence of Jesus to those people. And for you personally, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in your home or whether it's a neighbor that you've never talked to, to go there and say, I'm going to commit to glorify Jesus. And you walk there and you give Him an opportunity He will not want to miss. Are you giving the Holy Spirit those opportunities? Or are you just sitting, twiddling your thumbs, wondering why, can't I, why don't I experience the power of the Spirit in my life? I pray as a church we give them those opportunities. I pray we redeem back the time 
that coming here on a Sunday night is not a waste of time. That our home groups is not a waste of time. That when we gather together and we corporately seek God's presence, we buy it back, and He passionately leads us forward to mediate the presence of Christ in a dying world. Pray with me. Lord, I am so aware of the failings of my words, and I thank you for that. Lord, I believe what I have spoken is truth. I'm convinced of that. So Holy Spirit, here is an opportunity for you to come and for you to work, for you to take that truth and to make that truth into a reality, to draw us into the person of Jesus. So I ask, Spirit, that you would come in power and you would do that. Whatever areas there are in our lives that, Lord, we are quenching your spirit, where we are so full of ourselves that we cannot be full of you, Lord, I pray right now in the power of your spirit, you would remove that. That would become hideous in our life. For the areas in our lives where we are just utterly wasting time, whether it's through our anxiety, through the cares and concerns of this world, whether it's through us being so entertainment-driven. Wherever we are wasting our time, I pray right now through the power of your Spirit, you would convict us that we would hear you say, wake up to reality, buy back the time, be filled with my presence. Right now I ask that you would do that, Lord. Because we want to see Jesus and his glory. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.